Welcome, everyone, to the Score Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Boone, the lead fantasy analyst at The Score. Thanks for joining us on the first day of November. Two more months of regular season action ahead of us. And we got to go over all the news from the last few days with our guests today. We got the NFL trade deadline to talk about. We got quarterback changes, firings, everything you need to know for week nine. Before we bring him in, though, let's take a look at my top trade targets this week as we kick things up a notch with our friends at Frank's Red Hot. Let's Frank it up. And the first name on my list heading into week nine, it's actually a pair of teammates. Nico Collins and Tank Dell on the Texans. They struggled coming out of their bye, but prior to that, Collins was the wide receiver 12 in fantasy points per game over the first six weeks, and Dell was the wide receiver 26. Better days are coming in the second half of the season. They're going to have positive matchups against the Bucks, Cardinals, Jaguars, and two games in the fantasy playoffs versus the Titans. So make your move for those Houston wideouts now. Our next target, Devon Achan on the Dolphins. I know I don't have to remind you about what he was doing before he got hurt, but I'm going to do it anyway. The rookie put up 233 yards and four touchdowns against the Broncos, 120 yards and two scores on the Bills, and then 165 yards and a touchdown before he got hurt in that game versus the Giants. He's currently on IR. He's going to be eligible to return after the Dolphins week 10 bye, though, and all reports have indicated that he is going to be back sooner rather than later. So if the manager with Achan needs help in the short term, that could be your chance to capitalize and get a true difference maker for the stretch run. And then my last name this week, we're going with somebody who is going to be a little cheaper to acquire. He's even been dropped in some leagues, so you might be able to add him off the waiver wire. That's Elijah Moore on the Browns. I know it seems like a long shot, and maybe it will be, but we haven't seen the best from that Cleveland passing attack. Deshaun Watson's been hurt most of the year. We don't know if he's going to return this week or not, but he is practicing. He should be back at some point soon. So why should you go out and get more? Because he's only top 50 yards in one game this season. That can't be the reason. I will admit, I do like the player still. That's part of it. But the bigger thing is I'm chasing volume here. Moore's the clear number two receiver for the Browns. That's even more evident after they traded Donovan Peoples-Jones at the deadline. And even with DPJ on the roster, Moore had at least seven targets in five of his seven appearances this year. He averaged eight targets per game when Watson was in the lineup. So if Watson can get back to 100%, if this Browns pass offense can get on track, there's still hope for Moore to become a wide receiver three in fantasy. And it's really not going to cost you much to get him. So go take a look at my trade value charts over at the score. You can figure out who you could give up to make these deals happen and then get some offers out there and take your roster and frank it up just like our friends at Frank's Red Hot. All right, let's get our guest in here. One of our regulars, Chris Allen of Fantasy Life, and I'm sure you're already following him on Twitter, but if not, he's at Chris Allen FFWX. Chris, Welcome back to the show, dude. How's the season been for you, man? We're approaching the midway point in the fantasy calendar. How you been doing? Justin, I, I, I'm not going to lie to you. Well, first and foremost, man, it's, it's I'm always glad to get back and talk with you. But for man, sure. like we were talking before the show, it's just been a, a wild two months. And I know that we say that every season, but I feel like we start saying that stuff in week 12 or like, you know, <laughs> or, or week 13, like when we've seen, you know, months of action and we we've gotten past the trade deadline even though we are past it te- you know technically the trade deadline was just yesterday uh but i feel like it's we're, we're months into the season before we get to that man you know 2022 has been kind of wild you remember that stuff that happened all i feel like th- those comments started after week two 
right? Like where it was Kieran Williams, like coming up, Puka Nakua being a thing, Justin Jefferson blowing out his hammy and Kirk Cousins is now gone for the season. And then of course, all the stuff that happened with the Raiders uh, in the dead of night, uh, you know, within the last like 12, 24 hours. I mean, all those things happening in a two month span uh, is just, it's just like beyond me to, to think about, like if we were back in August, trying to prognosticate how the 23 season was going to go on. These things happening could totally have been in the realm of possibility, but these things happening in, you know, in eight weeks, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm somewhat excited, but at the same time scared to think about what's going to happen over the, like the remainder of the fantasy season, the remainder of the regular season before we even talk about getting to the playoffs. So it's just, it's been wild, man, for sure. Well, the funniest part is the thing that at least I expected to be a little crazier was the trade deadline yesterday. We had all these big names that were getting rumored out there that they could potentially get dealt. And we've had more trades in recent years. So you figure, okay, this could be a really big day. And when I asked you to come on a couple of weeks ago, I figured, well, all episode we're going to be talking about all these wild trains that happened yeah. and it wasn't really that crazy of a day unfortunately I mean you mentioned the Raiders thing that came down very very late but you know other than that there wasn't a, a ton of trades to talk about and we'll get to the Raiders thing in a second but for the deadline we will mention I mean there were a few defensive players who got moved that were notable but on offense the biggest deal from a fantasy perspective was, I guess, Josh Dobbs being dealt to the Vikings. And obviously they lost Kirk Cousins for the season. We weren't sure who was going to be starting the rest of the way. Now you have to expect that it's going to be Dobbs. And compared to some of the other options that they had on the roster, I guess that seems like good news. You know, even if he's not going to replicate what Cousins was giving them, it at least should help some of these fantasy assets there. So what's your outlook for those guys like TJ Hawkinson and Jordan Addison and Justin Jefferson, like you said, we hope that he's going to be back soon. Now that you have Dobbs under center, maybe this week even, we've seen him do this before where he shows up on a team like he did with the Cardinals earlier this year and he learns the playbook very quickly and he starts immediately. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't this week. Regardless, he is going to be the starter at some point soon. So what's your outlook for all these fantasy assets in Minnesota? I'm not as concerned as I was a couple of days ago, just thinking about the idea of uh, Jaron Hall taking over for the Vikings for the remainder of the season or anything like that, because I think if let's say let's let's think about the the multiverse and in in the one universe where it is Jaron Hall for the for the rest of the season. I mean, fifth round rookie. Uh, I mean, we really can't really we can't, couldn't really expect a ton of continued production given how little we know about him. So it would have just been DEFCON 1, drop any of your Vikings players. It's over for most of them to say nothing about Justin Jefferson. And then on top of that, let's think about what the Vikings would have done had they gone in that direction. Would they, if they had decided to start Hall and that's what their plan was going to be for the remainder of the season, would that have been the first domino in them selling off additional pieces at the deadline yep. to uh, uh, to get more assets back, to look to take the long-term view? I mean, their GM, Cuesi Adolfo Mensa, more of an analytics type of guy, macro view, that could have been completely in play, especially with Kirk Cousins potentially being gone, like or like more most likely being out of Minnesota at the end of this year, given his contract situation. But this move, not just because it's Dobbs, not just because we've seen so far uh, with Dobbs being productive, being able to use his legs as a scrambler, uh, but also being like somewhat 
accurate and efficient, like with the football, given the pass catching uh, options that he had down in Arizona, it's like, okay, well, like Minnesota got the best of both worlds. Sure, they sent off some trade as, you know, some assets in order to, or an asset in the, in the pick in order to acquire Dobbs, but they not only do they get to evaluate or do they get a somewhat competitive quarterback into their, into their, uh, into their franchise, into the building, into that system with Kevin O'Connell, but it's also a young quarterback. And I think that's the, that's one of the key points where it's like, okay, I think the Vikings are, are doing the right thing and they need to be able to evaluate younger talent. They need to be able to look not just for this season because they are still somewhat competitive, like in the NFC North. For sure. And Dobbs allows them to, to do that while at the same time looking towards the future. So it's, it's, it's that balancing act. And if we're looking at what we're going to think about the, the fantasy potential for the rest of the, uh, the rest of the Vikings, we can have the Justin Jefferson conversation, of course. I mean, once he comes back, wide receiver one gets the requisite target share and all of that. But for right now, I'm okay holding on to Jordan Addison. I mean, like him and TJ Hawkinson, they were the two uh, pass catchers for Minnesota that were over a 20% target share, like with Justin Jefferson, like off the roster. I mean, KJ Osborne was right there on the bubble around like 19%. uh, But even we saw inklings of like guys like Brandon Powell starting to creep up. uh, Cam Akers with his, uh, you know, split backfield with Alexander Madison. I think those those guys now, they, they go out of the picture because we can't expect similar output from the entire uh the entire offense like with Dobbs like with Dobbs coming in especially not for this weekend with with uh with Hall starting but I mean given how efficient Kirk Cousins had been with the football so far like this season playing like legitimately like the best ball of his career from an EPA per dropback standpoint uh explosive uh explosive play rate uh I mean all of those things now we 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 need to scale all that back I mean Kirk Cousins like uh through the first like eight weeks of the season, I mean, he had like more yards, uh, like more passing yards and more touchdowns on on deep passes than Patrick Mahomes. I mean, he was playing just completely lights out. And that was also without Justin Jefferson for about three, four games. So we can't expect all of that. But if we do know where the ball is going to go, Jordan Addison, TJ Hawkinson, and we also know that the, uh, the, the Vikings are more pass oriented uh, in 2022, Kevin O'Connell's like first year, like with Kirk Cousins, uh, they were still top five, like top six in pass rate over expectation, uh, ninth in early down passing rate in neutral situations. So I think that like that scheme, that scheme, that approach to offense, that will most likely be in place, independent of who the quarterback is going to be. Hall this weekend, and then likely Dobbs the week after that. So volumetrically, Jordan Addison should still be somebody that we'll, we should be rostering. TJ Hawkinson, Hawkinson should still be somebody that we're rostering. It's just that now the, the floor and ceiling come down for both of them until we see how quickly and how well Dobbs integrates into that offense. Yeah, very thorough breakdown there. The only other thing I'll add is there's been some reports, too, that we could see Justin Jefferson back sooner rather than later. And you have to think making a trade like this, that's a sign that Jefferson is definitely going to try to get back as soon as he can and that this team is going to try to continue competing because, like you said, they're right in the mix, right? So that that's exciting for the Vikings and provides some hope for fantasy managers who are invested in that Minnesota offense. The other skill position player that got traded yesterday and at least has a little bit of name value is Donovan Peoples-Jones, who went from the Browns to the Lions. 
Got to be ecstatic about that, right? Going from the dysfunction in Cleveland to the surging Lions. I guess surging, I think, is probably the right word, right? They're yeah. certainly a contender at this point. And I'm trying to figure out where he's going to fit into that Lions receiving core because I'm under St. Brown, Sam Laporta, the running backs. I think they're all locked in for volume. Then you have Jamison Williams, who's really been a, a disappointment, I would say. I mean, the quotes from the coaching staff, they just seem to get worse and worse over time when it comes to him. You also have Josh Reynolds, who has been pretty good when he's been given the opportunity, but he also gets banged up. It happened last year. This year, he's played through some injuries, too. So I want to know, what do you think of Peoples-Jones in uh, in that Lions offense? Is it just a depth move, do you think, Chris? Or could we actually see him emerge as maybe like a real contributor in that offense? And and then, obviously, I mean, we could talk a little bit about Jamison Williams and what this could mean for him. But I feel like if they're making this deal, it's not a great sign for Williams. It is not a great sign for Williams. But I do think the only silver lining for Williams is that it came at the start of their bye week. Because we've seen uh, rookie receivers, like when they have that extra week, I mean, they have uh, the first, you know, four, five, six weeks of like actual NFL action. Uh, to really see the playbook, like, you know, implemented on the field and adjusting to speed and just the, like how corners play them. And just, I mean, all the things that you have to do to transition into the, like onto the NFL field, like for a rookie wide receiver and then getting that bye week is typically been that, that time for them to kind of regroup, work with their quarterback, work with their offensive coordinator, coaching staff or whatever in order to say, all right, well, this is what I've seen so far. These are the things I need to work on and then try and do that like with their with their quarterback. Uh, typically, and this is a study that I believe was done by uh, Pat Corain of Legendary Upside like, years ago, uh, you see their yards per route run, uh, rookie wide receivers like for the first half of the season, it might be low. Target share also might be low unless they're put in one of those like elite type of situations like, you know, Jamar Chase or even Garrett Wilson to an extent, like during his rookie campaign. Like those types of guys that are drafted highly to the right situation, we see them almost like hit like straight from the jump. But from an efficiency standpoint, from a target uh, target share standpoint, after the bye week, after they've had that time to sit down with their with their quarterback, with their coaching staff and all of that to figure out, OK, this is how we can implement like or this is how we can take my game to the next level or just get into the offense, get on, uh, get uh, better in sync with the entire offense. That's when we see things start to change. And maybe this week is that week for Jamison Williams. Now, the his stats don't indicate that that's, he's on the rise right now. I mean, his average depth of target has decreased over the past like few weeks down to where he's like be like below like 10, uh, 10 air yards like per target. His route rate has jumped up and down. We've seen Josh Reynolds like work ahead of him from a routes run standpoint. We saw Khalif Raymond getting more targets just this past week heading into the bye. So he's still one of like just the ancillary receivers in that offense. It's just a role player in that offense. It's not like they're relying on him in the red zone in order to, you know, win uh, contested catches or uh, convert for third downs. Like he doesn't really have like a, spe a specific role. Or he doesn't have that uh, specific skill set that would necessitate him being on the field because he's not even that downfield threat that they really hoped that he could be with his speed coming out of college. So, yeah, I'm I'm. The only, again, the only silver lining that I'm seeing and the only reason I'd still be holding on Jamison Williams is that he has this week to get right. He has this week to sit down with Jared Goff, Campbell, the rest of the team and say, okay, hey, these are the things that I need to work on and they have that extra time to do it. But if we come out of the bye week 
and it's still Josh Reynolds, it's still Cleef Raymond, and oh, by the way, Donovan Peoples-Jones is even getting routes. I'm not saying that Peoples-Jones is going to earn targets from Goff straight out the gate, but even if he's now mixed in the rotation, uh, then right after that, I, he, he'll be on the he'll be on the waiver wire for me. Yeah, I think it makes me not really interested in any of the receivers there outside of Amon St. Brown. I think it's just going to be a rotation. You kind of touched on it there, and I worry that you know James Williams, not a rookie, but essentially a rookie after you know having the injury last year and barely playing, and you'd hope that in his second season and having spent a year around the team, right, he should have come in a lot more prepared and hit the ground running in an offense that's getting it done. And we just haven't seen a a lot of positive signs from him, unfortunately. So I'll maintain a little bit of hope like you that, you know, he's still young and this offense can continue to improve and work him in in different ways. But right now, I think I would focus on those other guys that I mentioned, Amonra St. Brown and Sam Laporta and the running backs. And I'm not really taking any shots on the other receivers in that offense. Now, that basically covers us for the trade deadline reaction. And like you said off the top, you know, it's kind of a letdown of a day because, you know, we had so many names floating out there as possible trade candidates. You know, Derrick Henry and DeAndre Hopkins and Josh Jacobs and Devontae Adams. I'm not going to list them all here, but I do want to know. Is there a team that you think is going to regret not making a trade before the deadline? And it's tough because, you know, the deadline's so early in the season that a lot of teams might be convincing themselves that they're still in the hunt when in reality it might be better for them to throw in the towel and trade some of their guys. But, you know, maybe there's a contender out there. Maybe you go the other way with it. There's a contender that you think should have made a, a bigger push. Is there a team that stood still yesterday that you think is going to have a, a lot of regret? All of them? Most of them. <laughs> well, for, for two reasons. One, just for I am a I'm an agent of chaos. I would love to see like just owners and GMs using their real life rosters like some dynasty managers and fantasy managers use their fantasy teams. It's like, oh, I, I don't want to I don't want this guy on my roster anymore. I'm going to trade him away. Uh, you know, I want to see the flurry of action. I would love to see that that level of entertainment, uh, not just the entertainment we get on the field, but also the stuff that we get off the field, the drama and all of that. But if I'm looking at the like the contenders as of right now, uh, using Unpredictable's uh, rankings right now to look at like playoff seating and uh, but, you know, potentially like who might make it to uh, the big game in February. Uh, you know, we've got the, the usual group of suspects where there's the 49ers, Chiefs, Eagles, Cincinnati, like all the way down to Seattle, I believe they have as their 12th ranked team right now in terms of where they're at in, uh, in terms of playoff seating. And I think the one that sticks out to me uh, is the Chiefs for as, as of right now, uh, not to say that I'm concerned about the Chiefs. They have these types of games like every year, like this game that they just had against the Broncos. Like the what was it the Colts I believe like they ran over them was it last year the year beforehand they they drop one of these random games where I think the media loves to look at like oh we should be concerned about the about the Chiefs <laughs> Patrick Mahomes doesn't have it anymore are they gonna make it to are they gonna make it to the the Super Bowl like uh, we we do this every year and while yes you know Mahomes average depth of target has dropped down. Uh, he hasn't completed as many deep passes. The offense hasn't been as explosive. I mean, all, all of those things. I mean, they're, they're still sitting ahead of their division. Uh, and they're still, in my mind, just trying to figure things out 
And by figure things out is they're trying to at least revamp this pass catching core. Of course, like Travis Kelsey still leads the still leads the team in uh, in targets, air yards, and red zone targets. I mean, whatever you want. I mean, he's still the TE one at 34 years of age, like which is hilarious to think about. But <laughs> behind him, I really wish they would have gone out. They didn't have to get like a DeAndre Hopkins level wide receiver. I mean, it would have been awesome if they had somehow found a way to do an interdivision trade and get like Devonte Adams. I would have just laughed. Uh, but just a, an additional guy. Yeah, somebody, right? So, just somebody. Something. Just get, I mean, give me something because I, I know that everybody has been super hyped about Rashi Rice and his development. I mean, he's still, like, from a route standpoint, only running, like, 50%, 60% of the routes, 15% target share. It's just, okay. And then Kadarius Tony is still mixing in. I mean, Sky Moore is still mixing in and getting drops. And just Justin Watson, I mean, like, all, all, of, I mean, all these guys. And while Rice has started to separate, we're two months into the season, and we're still saying he's starting to separate. He's not head and shoulders above, like, the rest of the wide receivers that are there. So it's just, I, I thought that was one of the key, like the biggest ones. I thought that if, you know, the Chiefs had done something to add to that group, it would have just cemented like their, like their push to make it to another Super Bowl. And that's just because the Chiefs have set themselves, like the bar is so high for them. It's more or less at this point with Patrick Mahomes being Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey being who he is, that offensive line being so powerful, and now them having one of the better defenses in the league, them buttressing the rest of the offense by adding in that wide receiver talent. Again, didn't have to be Devontae Adams, didn't have to be DeAndre Hopkins, just something. I think that would have just, again, like, re, like, like reinserted the idea that the Chiefs are the team that everybody has to beat. Because right now, I still think that's the case, but it's just maybe just a, a crack in that armor after last week. Yeah, I think that's a great call for that question. And we've talked about them a few times now, but I think we probably also have to include the Raiders in that conversation of teams that are going to have a lot of regrets. And they make that big, bold move and they fire Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler and a little later Mick Lombardi. But they did it after the deadline had passed. And you'd think that that's a move that you'd want to do either early Tuesday or maybe even Monday night after the loss to the Lions. And then you put an interim GM in there and you put him in position to potentially make some deals. I don't know if you want to comment on the chaos. Like I said, we've kind of alluded to it and touched on it briefly a couple times here. If you want to talk about the, the chaos and that Vegas front office, feel free. I mostly want to know whether you think those firings are going to change anybody's fantasy outlooks moving forward. Because you had guys like Adams and Josh Jacobs who seemed awfully frustrated on Monday. We also know that there's a quarterback change coming this week, that Jimmy Garoppolo is getting benched and the rookie Aiden O'Connell is going to get the start. So there's a lot to tackle here, Chris. I'm going to give you the floor. Ultimately, though, I want to know, does this impact any of the fantasy outlooks for those Raiders players? Honestly, I, I thought the final straw should have been the game where I think there was the second game that they knew Jimmy Garoppolo was going to be out. And instead of starting Aiden O'Connell again, it was Brian Hoyer that was starting. It's like, what what, what in the world are we doing here? Like, who who thought that, okay, well, in in this, like, this particular situation, the team's not going anywhere. And we knew that, like, three, four weeks ago, that this team was not making to the playoffs and they were not going to be able to make a push. But... Why in the world would you think that in that particular situation that you needed to find out more about what Brian Hoyer could add to your offense versus Aiden O'Connell? I do not understand that. But 
the fantasy implications moving forward. I would say that it is a potential positive for guys like Devontae Adams and Josh Jacobs. And the reason uh, is because we've seen Aiden O'Connell operate this offense before. It wasn't pretty. I mean, they, they got the job mostly done from a fantasy perspective, but when Aiden O'Connell was under center from an efficiency standpoint, uh, I mean, Las Vegas, they were 25th in yards per drive against the Chargers, 24th in EPA per drive. So it's not like they were moving the ball effectively, but the one good thing about what Aiden O'Connell did was that he knew who to get the ball to. Devontae Adams had over a 30% target share, <laughs> like in that particular game, like 13, 15 targets. Josh Jacobs had like a 28, 29% target share. So if you're playing like in PPR leagues, we'll take that all day long. And honestly, after this past week, I don't care what type of league you're playing in. If Devontae Adams is going to wind up with 10 plus targets, we'll take that. I don't even care if they're inaccurate targets. Just give him the ball, <laughs> like throw it in his general direction. The problem, though, then becomes it's the it's the secondary options. Jacoby Myers, who had been having a fairly like fairly decent season so far, he becomes now on drop watch list, like put him there. I don't think anybody was still rostering Hunter Renfro, but if you were looking to, let's say, like Michael Mayer after his outburst a couple of weeks ago and seeing him as an ascending tight end, I would say that those types of guys, like Jacoby Myers uh, and also Michael Mayer, they're guys that if I have other options for Michael Mayer, Trey, Mc, Trey McBride just this past week, Logan Thomas still sitting out there in a number of leagues, those types of guys I would play over over uh, Mayer at this point. Jacoby Myers, you can replace uh, likely replace him with some of the ascending wide receivers, whether it's Tank Dell sitting out there on the waiver wire still, or even guys like Demario Douglas, Pop Douglas uh, for, for the Patriots, those types of guys, depending on your league scoring and format. So those types of guys are replaceable, but for right now, I'd be looking to just roster Devontae Adams, Josh Jacobs, and get those guys out there just because we know that Aiden O'Connell can get them the ball. And it's great that O'Connell isn't the only backup quarterback who's going to be starting this week. We talked a bit about right. this before the show, that it's like a quarter of the league is going to be playing backup quarterbacks this week. And let's shift to like kind of a, a rapid fire section here, because I don't think we need to spend as much time on like each one of these, but you can give a little bit of context. You've been on the show for these preview episodes before. You know we do these rapid fire sections sometimes. So I'm going to give you a backup quarterback who's probably starting this week and I'll kind of explain their situations before you answer. And then I want you to give me your confidence level for them in week nine. And we can work with a one to 10 scale, 10 being very confident. So let's start with the man we just discussed there, Aiden O'Connell versus the Giants. One, negative one. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> no, okay. put, I think I'll I might have a one. little bit more than that just because nah, the talent around him. But. Yeah, that's true. I I, I, I agree. I, I'd say put it at a 2-3, somewhere in there. Well, and the funny part about doing the rankings of this week is because there's so many of these guys, some of them have to get pushed up into like the low right. end QB2 range, which is wild as well. But next up here, a guy who... I mean, he might not be considered a backup for long if he has another strong performance. They might just outright name him the starter and continue to roll with him the rest of the season. That's Will Levis on the Titans. Now, he's on the road this week facing the Steelers. What's your confidence level on him? Six, seven, somewhere in there. I mean, a little his bit stronger. Yeah, explosive play rate was there, uh, but his down to down, like his success rate was fairly low. But I mean, the Steelers won't have Minka Fitzpatrick on Thursday night, so I think he'll be pretty solid. Yeah, I, I like him for this week. So this is one that I've mentioned on the show quite a few times in recent weeks. And I was telling people in two quarterback and super flex leagues to keep stashing Taylor Heineke because what we were seeing from Desmond Ritter was telling us he was not it. And now Heineke has been named the starter for week nine. He's going against the Vikings 
We can go to him next. What do you think about him this week? Uh, I, my confidence level somewhere around like a four or five, like behind Will Levis. Uh, I mean, credit to Brian Flores, like taking that personnel and essentially implementing, I think what I've heard termed the kitchen sink defense where they just throw everything at you. And whether it's uh, like they'll line up in blitz, uh, but then have like players like, uh, you know, drop back into coverage. Uh, they'll send everybody, they'll send nobody, drop eight. Like it doesn't matter. Uh, Brian Flores has done enough to at least bewilder enough quarterbacks to keep them competitive. Uh, so, yeah, and Taylor Heineke, we've seen him in those type of situations where they like, what was it, Todd Bowles, like throwing everything that he had at him, like in that playoff game a couple of years ago. So, yeah, I, I think Taylor Heineke, he, he's, a, he's a tough kid. I think he'll be all right. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see what he can do. And I think part of that is just, it's a pretty nice act to follow. I think Marcus Mariota last year and Desmond Ritter this year, their play was just so bad that if Heineke can do anything close to average, it'll be a really good thing for the Falcons and for the fantasy assets in that offense. Uh, Deshaun Watson, so he's going to be limited in practice today. Kevin Stefanski said that he's going to update everybody on Watson's status later in the week. But if Watson can't play again, how are you feeling about PJ Walker at home against the Cardinals? I mean, so far, P.J. Walker's shown that he can be a capable quarterback, like primarily just getting the ball to Amari Cooper, which for most fantasy managers, that's all we care about anyway. But also that we started to see them incorporate David Njoku like on those tight end screens, which have like which has racked up a number of yards as well. So between those two and also having a fairly decent run game between Jerome Ford, Pierre Strong, Kareem Hunt, I mean, between that trio as well to move the ball down the field and get a guy like Walker into scoring position, I would say probably about the same level of confidence if Walker's going to start as I would Heineke, given the talent around but either of the two. So what was that, like a four or five? Yeah, I think four or five, somewhere in there. Yeah. All right. We still have three more to go, which is just hilarious. But yeah. uh, we talked about the Vikings offense earlier. Maybe Josh Dobbs will be ready to play in week nine. Probably not, but we don't know for sure. I don't think yet. Uh, if not, how are you feeling about Jaron Hall against the Falcons? I'd put him down at a, at a one, two. Uh, it's it's hard for me to see him being able to be dropped right into that offense. And uh, like we were talking earlier, uh, an offense that has been pass first, but then also a pass first offense, like with a number of offensive linemen, uh, offensive linemen injuries. And I think that's one of the key things to, uh, that has been the the cap in the Kirk Cousins hat is that he's been able to operate behind that offensive line so for so long. So I think with that, uh, with him uh, not just stepping in to operate the offense, but then work behind that offensive line, I'm down to probably like a one, two-ish, three max like for Hall. All right, Matthew Stafford day-to-day with the UCL sprain in his thumb. No guarantees that he's going to play this week. I believe they have a bye the week after, so you wonder if that gives them more of a reason to sit him out in this one. Uh, if Brett Rippon is getting the start at Green Bay, what number would you give him? Probably even less than most of those other guys. I mean, Brett Ripon, he's bounced around. I think this is what his third team, if not his. Uh, I think it's his third team. Been a lot, yeah. He's... Yeah. Uh, so we kind of we kind of know what the rest of the league feels about his skill set and his ability to take over for for quarterbacks and even from a backup standpoint. So I know that he has like like these two of the best like weapons like from a receiving standpoint in all of football, but. Uh, I do think that the Green Bay Packers defense like should be able to limit like some of that or at least uh, put Rippon under duress enough that he makes a couple of mistakes. So I'd, I'd probably put him in the same bucket as Hall. And then another one that's up in the air, Kyler Murray trying to come back this week. Uh, they might hold him out one more game. If so, it'd be Clayton Toon on the road against the Browns defense. 
how low are you going with this one? I don't know if we're allowing zero, but uh, you know, I, I think they ask. said one to ten, so I guess it might be a one. Yeah, I was gonna ask, can I do zero or negative <laughs> number? Because that—that's where I'd be at. I mean, Miles Garrett against that against no, no, thank you. Yeah, it'd be a one for absolutely. It'd be a one if that's the lowest I can go. We're running a, a little longer than usual here too, so we should probably speed it up and continue with the rapid fire idea. So uh, I want to know which disappointing player do you expect to bounce back in the second half of the season? I'll be the I'll be a homer right here and uh, support my Bengals. T. Higgins, uh, this past week, uh, 2.23 yards per route run against uh, the 49ers. Over his last three, he was at 0.43, 1.06, and 0.91. Uh, it was his first game since, uh, like, second highest mark in terms of uh, first downs per target. Uh, and he, also his first game since week two, week two where he's matched or beat Jamar Chase in air yards. So I think over this back half of the season, with Burrow's calf feeling better, T. Higgins also being healthy after the rib injury, uh, Higgins starts to show out a bit more. All right, what about a player who you think has the best chance to break out the rest of the way? Uh, I'm probably, uh, I'm, I'm, I think I'm probably wrong about this one, but I'm thinking Christian Watson like has a chance to break out. They, they have to change something about that Packers offense. Uh, I mean, Jordan Love like can't live in this world where he's using play action to now take deep shots. Uh, his what over nine air yards per attempt like that has to come down. He needs to be able to use like the short intermediate parts of the field and let his pass catchers like work after the catch. And that's where Watson's explosiveness kind of comes into play. So I'm hoping he takes the reins and uh, has a breakout campaign down the rest of the way. Who's your favorite redraft stash at the moment? Uh, Zach Charbonnet, uh, 44% rostered in Yahoo leagues. Uh, I know that uh, Kenneth Walker had the calf injury, uh, like did not practice like twice uh, heading into week eight. Uh, and we saw Charbonnet get a little bit more work. Uh, but even afterwards, I mean, Pete Carroll had some pretty like glowing responses like regarding Charbonnet. Uh, we saw him be the more effective and efficient runner uh, in that hard-fought game this past week. So uh, I think Charbonnet is probably one guy that I'd really love to stash and kind of see like how that backfield shakes out down the stretch. And then last one, which player is being undervalued entering week nine? And there's millions of ways you could attack this. I mean, essentially, you're just shining the spotlight on somebody who deserves it. So who's that for you this week? Uh, for me, it's Chris Godwin. Uh, I know that for the longest time, uh, like throughout this season, it's really been the Mike Evans and Baker Mayfield show. But I think with this uh, knee injury or knee contusion for Baker Mayfield, like we saw a lot of their schematic approach of getting Baker out on nakeds and bootlegs and then just hucking the ball downfield to Mike Evans. All, all that changed uh, just this past week. Uh, and that's where Chris Godwin, he now like leads the team like in target share at 23.8%. Uh, and if Baker Mayfield is forced to be more of a drop back passer because of this knee thing, I think Chris Godwin, who's now probably in like the mid to low end wide receiver two like type of ranking, I think he now starts to pop back up into that high end wide receiver two, uh, that into that discussion versus where he's ranked at currently across the league. I love that call. And that is all for today's show. So make sure you're checking out Chris's content over at Fantasy Life. Make sure you're following him on Twitter or X at Chris Allen FFWX. I love that we've been able to have the top analysts in the industry on the show ever since we started it way back in the day, having Mike Taglier in the first episode. I think it was JJ Zacharyson on the second one. And we've been able to continue that now for six years plus the best of the best coming on every single week, just like Chris. So thank you, man, for jumping on every year. I always enjoy talking to you. I always enjoy how smooth the conversation is every time we do. We're going a little longer than usual today. I think that's the reason why. I hope we can keep doing this for many, many years to come here. But I know you're probably busy, so I'm going to get you out of here. 
Is there anything that you're working on that you want to direct people towards and, and point people in the direction of here before we go? Oh, I mean, first and foremost, I mean, I appreciate you having me on, Justin. Like I said, I, you know me, I'm, I'm a big rambler. I'm a big talker. I could do this for hours. I love talking ball with anybody. But of course, coming back here onto the show with you is always a joy like every season. Uh, but if folks get a chance, come and check out the Fantasy Life newsletter, which I help write uh, for, for Saturdays. Uh, got uh, Subscribe to the newsletter if you can. But also the work that we're doing uh, with... Uh, like Dwayne McFarlane, uh, Ian Harditz, uh, the Matchups podcast that I do with Sam Holt uh, and Cooter Doodle. I mean, there's just so much content that we're putting out at Fantasy Life, and it's all for free. Uh, so, you know, no paywall, no nothing. Uh, you know, Dwayne's like utilization report, Ian's sheesh report. I mean, all the stuff that we have there, I really do encourage folks to come and check out not just the, the tools, the, the betting advice that we have uh, there with Matthew Friedman. I mean, just so many like awesome content creators there that will help you out. Uh, so yeah, if you get a chance, like come and take a look at it and subscribe. Great stuff. As for me, I'm going to be back on Thursday with the mailbag show Friday with the injury updates episode. But until then, Big thanks once more to Chris. Big thanks to all you for listening. We'll see you next time. Said leave on time, my baby. Said leave on time. Leave on time with me tonight. Said leave on time.